Amen. So grateful for that. So grateful for Hudson and Joan and the great legacy that they have had. Um, the first time Hudson came to my place, my property, my wife had become saved and I was a very angry young man and I marched him off the property. And um, some nine months later, I gave my heart to the Lord, came to the front of the congregation and Hudson grabbed me by the arm and said, young man, you have been an enemy of God. Go home and repent. And it, I, I can't tell you how frightened I was what came upon me, not from Hudson, but just from the anointing and the word of the Lord. And so I went home, went into uh, our bedroom, shut the door, threw myself on my face on the floor and had an amazing encounter with God. And uh, it's still going on some 40 years later. So I am grateful to God, grateful to Hudden Joan for the great legacy and everything that's taken place since then. I'm actually uh, going to go back a little earlier. I was sitting in a classroom at school when I was 16 years of age in a, a music lesson. It was compulsory and I was a very poor student, which I deeply regret. All I wanted to be was be smart and get into trouble and get into mischief. And so I went dragging my feet to this um, music lesson and every now and again the music teacher would allow us to bring a song and play it and then we'd discuss it. So some guys bought the song, I'd never heard it before, by um, Simon and Garfunkel called The Sound of Silence. And so we put it on and what the guy wanted to do, he bought two different versions of it and so firstly, they released it with no drums in it. And I now have got those versions. I've got them on my computer. They released it with no drums in it. It was a big flop. It went nowhere. And somebody gave them some advice and said, you know, the problem is you need drums here. Get, drop your acoustic guitars, which they did, got an electric guitar and drums. And they played the song. So we heard in this music lesson the two songs. It's amazing the difference it made. And of course, it became... A huge hit. So that was the reason the guy, one of the fellow students, bought it. But at the end, the music teacher said, right, now we're going to talk about this song and we're going to say, what, what are they saying? What are the words? And I'm going to play the song to you in a minute. Um, what are the words? What is it saying? And we had a discussion in the class about it. It absolutely riveted me and I sat there and I uh, was always an avid reader and I loved history and world events and those things. I had an idea what was going on in the world and I thought we would lay hold of what was called the Western dream and change the world. And I sat there in my seat in that classroom and thought, we're lost. We're shot. We can't do this. It's not going to work. And Simon and Garfunkel have written a song expressing all of this. So I made a decision. I thought, okay, I'm going to get out of school, which I did. And I went and became a motor mechanic and started my own business. And my goal was that I was going to make as much money as I could in a shorter period of time. And I was going to opt out of society, get right out of it. So I always loved hunting and being in the bush and all those things. So I became quite well skilled. 
And so I started my own business, the service station down on Moonshine Road, and worked day and night. Had a tow truck, was going out on calls at night, got married and had two beautiful young children. And worked day and night. And my goal was that by the time I was 30, I could get out of society. And I achieved it by the time I was 27. So we were ready to go. So I sold the service station. And today I still own it. But I sold it. It was sold and signed up. And I had been communicating with Alaska via email. And I got offered a job as a hunting guide. So they said I had to come over. They wanted to, to see how I would go for six weeks. But they said it seemed I had all the qualifications and skills. Then I was going to take my wife and two children over to that place. Now, I, it was all in the process that I was booking airfares and in communication. And Vanessa had become a Christian and uh, a believer. And then I did. And a man um, came. Uh, a man came and preached at this fellowship. And at the end, uh, at the end of a, a weekend, when he was uh, speaking, his, he was Stuart Cordwell's father. Some of you know Stuart. Don Cordwell. Was anyone around when Don Cordwell came and ministered here? Yeah, there's a couple of hands up. So he came and had dinner and he was talking and saying, well, it's great, you've just become a Christian and talking about this, what's going to happen? I said, well, we're off to Alaska. And we sat over the dinner table and he said, I don't believe that God would have you do that. And I said, it's, it's, it's done deal. It's all it's sold. And, and he said, yeah, yeah. I said, I'm not telling you to do anything. He said, I'm just saying, I don't believe that God, that's what God would have you do. But he said, we'll just leave it to him. I got to work the next day and the guy who'd bought the service station came and saw me and said, I'm sorry, I can't go ahead. I've, you know, we've run into financial problems and all these areas. And so the sale uh, fell over. This was back in 1978. And so uh, I'm still here. And uh, I still haven't got to Alaska. I was invited to speak at a conference up there. And at the end, because of weather and other areas, they cancelled the conference. I was devastated. I really want to go. I still hope to go. But um, I'm going to play the song and then share some things because the message of the song is more relevant today, in my opinion, than it was back in the 60s. But now I know what the answer is to it, and that's what I want to share about. So, if we could have the song, I think so. The lyrics will come up. Thank you very much. Hello, darkness, my old friend. I've come to talk with you again. Because a vision softly creeping left its seeds while I was sleeping, and the vision. That was planted in my brain Still remains Within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Narrow streets of cobblestone Neath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the Stare by the flash of a neon light Split the night 
that song? I hope I don't spoil it for you. A couple of months ago, I uh, mentioned it and I said, oh, one day I'd love to share on the song. So here we go. But I mentioned about people talking without speaking and people hearing without listening. And I shared from James 1.19, which says, this you know, my beloved brethren, but everyone must be quick to hear slow to speak and slow to anger. And the relevance of this is amazing, especially, not only, but especially with social media and the internet and everything that goes on where people today can be right next to one another. And there is no communication. I drove past a bus stop the other day and I, I was overseas. It doesn't matter what country it's in. Here's all these people waiting for the bus. Everybody has got their head buried in their iPhones or, or all sorts of media. Nobody's tuned into the environment. Nobody's tuned in to the people next to them. Everybody's got this whole deal going on where it's all coming out in the phones. So they are saying things which are meaningless to somebody out the other end of cyberspace and missing what is going on in the world around them everywhere. And lately we've been talking here, Jesse shared quite a lot about being a people of influence. And never have we had a better opportunity because, guys, we have to disturb the sound of silence. We have to disturb the sound of silence. Now, our influence, as you know, comes from the Holy Spirit, but it goes nowhere until we express it, or better, we express Him. 
And as the song teaches, there's now a big void of silence around everybody that only can be broken by we as God's people. So I want to look at this a little further. In verse 1, if the words are still up, the, the song begins with one person who realizes in essence that they are alone, living in darkness, or more accurately, a void. And they reveal this to the listener by showing that they are aware that they're familiar with the darkness. Hello, darkness, my old friend. They're familiar with it. They're aware what is going on. I've come to talk with you Again, And it says the vision is softly creeping, quietly creeping. It overtakes every, all of us. We get a cell phone and we just re- look at it occasionally. Next thing we look at it every three times a day. Next thing three times, I don't know what it is now, three times a minute. See, the vision is softly creeping. It's quiet. You don't notice it. And what it, what it is saying here and what we need to understand and what he is saying in the song is most people don't want to live like this. It just slowly overtakes us and we don't know what to do about it. We don't know how to deal with it anymore. And see, what we need to understand is we wake up and we're in it. And nobody really likes it because we're not designed that way. We're not built this way. It's not the way God made us to be isolated units living alone even when we are surrounded by people. We're not designed for that. In 1 Corinthians 12, the whole chapter talks a lot about community. And it shares how we were designed to be connected together, working together, contributing to one another, and not allowing divisions to take root in our lives. And it's so important we understand this. I've said this before. If you became marooned on a desert island, and all you had was enough food and water, obviously, a Bible, and obviously the Holy Spirit. Can you still maintain your walk and relationship with Jesus? Of course. Can you achieve everything that God intended you to achieve in your life and come to the place of maturity that he wanted to bring you? Absolutely not. It cannot be done on your own. You and Jesus and the Holy Spirit and the Bible, all a wonderful combination, but we cannot achieve maturity and we cannot achieve and become developed as a person in the way God intended unless we are interacting with other people and one another and our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's one of the key reasons why we have a church. One of the key reasons you're here this morning interacting as part of God's plan to bring you to a place of maturity. And these guys writing the song sense there's something wrong. 
we're in this society and we're not interacting with one another in the way that we're meant to be. In fact, we're all living alone in darkness, even though we're surrounded by people. So our place of influence comes from the fact that we are secure in an environment because of the community that God designed and put together and wonderfully has made us all a part of. But guys, this is not just for us. Now, I need to be here for me. I need to be here for me. But it's not just for us. This is what we take out into the world along with a whole lot of other things. A few of them I'll mention this morning. But we promised them we have a community of sincere, loving, believing people who have a purpose in life, and we can invite them to come and be part of this community, not just to the worship time and and whatever on a Sunday morning, as much as I love that, and I do. It's not just for that. We have got something to bring people into which has the presence of the Holy Spirit in a way that they cannot engage it out there. Second verse starts off by saying, In restless dreams I walk alone. And it's important because it shows that while we might have the same collective thoughts in a world of nothingness, Each individual is alone in their own thoughts and their own feelings. It's not until somebody else comes along to you. I mean, you know this. This is 101 living in life. and makes a suggestion and you go, wow, I never thought of that. Do you know what? You never would have. Someone else makes a suggestion, you think that's so amazing. That's incredible. Why didn't I think of that? Because it's only where two or three are gathered that their Jesus is in their midst. It's only when, I mean, all you're going to get from me, as hard as I try, is this perspective of a white, middle-class, middle-aged male. Now, when I'm with Linda... You'll get a percent. I'm not going into all of these um, descriptions of who she is, so I'll just say you'll get a woman's perspective if the two of us are together. (laughs) Bruce just said from both of you, I'll see him afterwards. See, this is why it's so important. But seeing Bruce has mentioned something, when Bruce and I are together, you're going to get a whole lot of things from the two of us that I can't give you, but he will. That's why it's not just that we need one another. In Christ, we complete one another. Whoops. Better stay on the stage. I'm getting excited here. Let's keep going. I turn my collar to the cold and damp. Do you know what it highlights? You can't get out of this. You can't change it. So you're just going to turn your collar up and allow the cold and the damp and the rain to hit on you, and you're going to huddle in to keep away from it as best as you can. We go down into survival mode. Back in this, the, uh, sorry, <coughs> and we just accept the bad conditions. Why do we accept the bad conditions? Because brothers and sisters, non-Christian people don't have the power to change them. 
that power comes from those who work, walk and work together in Christ Jesus. God doesn't have a plan B for that. So it doesn't matter what people try to do without Jesus. It ain't going to work long term. It comes back, I love this. I am just picking it up. It comes back to the neon light. And it's a reference to us uh, of the things that in life that distract us from these lonely feelings. Because, see, what, do you know what we did? In our lostness, we, the, we're these amazing people, us, the Western world. And starting from way back to Galileo and Copernicus in the 15th, 16th century, this is what happened. And I'll be careful not to drop into a history lesson. Christianity during that period of time says, and Martin Luther made the statement specifically, let the devil take the world, we have the heaven, we have heaven. And Christianity in the 15th and 16th century excommunicated itself from the world and said, we, have, we will have nothing to do with this. We are going to a better place. Now, here is the birth of the great Western dream. So along comes Galileo and Copernicus and a number of other people and say, okay, if God doesn't have any interest in this world, if he's not going to have anything to do with making it a better place, we are going to study the world for ourselves without God, find out how it works and make it work better. Now they did it. They did it. But they did it all without Jesus. They did it all because Christianity had got into a holy huddle and excommunicated itself from the world. And so finally, when we started to discover how we could live longer and medicine could help and we could get into a whole lot of other discussions, we turned around and said, well, we have made this world such a better place. How come I'm still so empty inside? So in our cleverness and our brilliance, and don't be surprised what people can do without Jesus... That's all covered in Genesis 11 when God said there is nothing that man cannot do when he looked at the Tower of Babel and how they had built it. Don't be surprised that without God, people can send a rocket to the moon. That's pretty clever. And come up with all these other amazing things. There's no surprise in that. But here is the surprise. We built this thing called Utopia, and I'm only talking the Western world. I spend a lot of time in the eastern countries of the world, and it's very different up there. So I'm talking about New Zealand, Australia, America, England, you know, those countries. So we built this thing, and we're so empty inside. Do you know what we did? We created entertainment to fill the void. So the great God of the Western world is entertainment. I want everything to to escape from the feeling that I have the deep emptiness inside. 
which is what the song is saying. So we built technology and eventually coming now, we built computers and iPhones. And by the way, guys, I love technology. I believe we should use it. If you're parents, you should teach your children how to use it. I have a computer and an iPad and an iPhone, and I use all those things all the time, and I thank God from them. But listen, we've got to hear this. The Apostle Paul says, I will not allow anything to master me. We can't let it do that. 1 Corinthians 6.12, all things are lawful for me, but not all things are profitable. All things are lawful to me, but I will not be mastered by anything. See, if this digs deep, let it dig deep. If you can't go an hour without checking your iPhone, you've got a problem. It's mastered you. It's mastered you. You have a problem. And hopefully I can show you what the problem is causing. If you have to stay constantly connected to Facebook, get rid of it. Get off it. Or Twitter or whatever you're, you're doing, whatever you're doing, because these things are meant to serve us. And the problem is when we go out on the streets and see everybody standing there and walking there and doing this, no longer are these things serving us. We are serving them. And brothers and sisters, they are not good masters. They'll eventually trap us. But in the meantime, they're causing so much damage, which I'm going to cover. Now, remember I have said I'm not against these things. I have them all and use them all. But here's what Paul said. We're still in 1 Corinthians 6. Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own? So here's what we need to understand. God did not put his spirit in an iPhone. God did not put his spirit in a computer. God did not put his spirit in the internet. Can God use all these things? Of course he can and he does. Where did God, with all the options that he had, and if he didn't have enough, he could have created more, where did God put his spirit? He made this decision, it was major. Where did God put his spirit? In people, in you and in me, in living, breathing people. Why? Because that's where he wants to express his Holy Spirit through the most. That is the most powerful way. That is the most effective way. Many times when I need a hug, Jesus can't give me one. He gives it to me through a brother or sister, flesh and blood. That's how it works. That's how so many things work. So let's come back to the song. Because this is where it really kicks in. We're into the third verse. And it says, people talking without speaking. People hearing without listening. You see, we can get on our iPhone and say, 
wow, because Bob just sent me a nice picture of a tree. Isn't that a great tree? Here's the tragedy. There's a hundred of them in real life all around us to look at. (laughs) Then I could say, I'm going to send Bruce a text telling him what I just had for breakfast. (laughs) He's a loving, caring man. He really is. Do you really think he cares what I... Now, he'll probably say, of course I do, Bruce. (laughs) He couldn't care less. And we can have a laugh about it, and it's funny, and I love to laugh, and it is funny. But here's the tragedy. What if I'm texting Bruce what I have for breakfast when somebody is standing beside me feeling suicidal and in a despair of life, and I don't even notice because I'm trying to see the tree Bruce sent me and tell him what I had for breakfast back. That brothers and sisters, is an absolute tragedy. And if you don't think that is true, you can go on the internet or talk to people or go wherever you go. And in my 40 years journey with Christ, I have heard testimony after testimony after testimony. And there may be some people in this room of people who were going to take their life, but somebody came along at the right time, gave them a hug, gave them a bit of hope, maybe gave them a word of encouragement and season, and it changed their whole world around. Do you believe that? Because guys, that's reality. That's reality. It may not have even led them to Christ. They may not have even been a Christian who shared it, but they got enough hope given to them via flesh and blood to keep on going through a very difficult time and finally come out the other side of it as most people ultimately do which is one of the tragedies of suicide and which, of course, New Zealand's got one of the highest instances of suicide amongst teenagers in the world. Before the Age of Enlightenment, the world primarily ran on a feudal system. Now, it wasn't the be-all and end-all. It wasn't the greatest thing especially if you were a serf, because then you were down on the lowest level and you pretty much couldn't get above it. But here is one advantage they had. They had to rely on one another to survive. Now, I grew up in a farming community, uh, which was in Upper Hutt, this used to be a farming community. You've got to go back a couple of years, but when I was a kid, it was. I grew up on a farming community, and back in those days, it doesn't happen anymore, which comes back to the sound of silence, but back in those days when it came time to bale hay, you didn't have the machinery to be able to do it yourself or hire it in. So five or six farmers would get together and would say, right, when the first good weather comes, we'll do your farm. Then we'll do your farm. Then you'll do your, we'll do your farm. Then we'll do your farm. That's how the whole thing in New Zealand worked. And if you had a fallout with your other farmers, you better get it fixed before hay baling time. Otherwise, you ain't going to get no hay. You ain't going to be able to feed your animals when the winter snow comes because you haven't cooperated. So you think, gee, Bill and I had a big fallout. We better put it together because haymaking season is coming. 
Now, here's what they did after it, because it, some would take days. And it, how many done hay baling? Has anybody here done hay? Yeah, quite a few of you have. Yeah, I have too. Amazing time. Sometimes you go right through the night. As kids, we weren't allowed, but sometimes you go right through the night. Here's the amazing thing. You have meals together, and you're chatting together, and you're sharing together, and you know one another so well. And so through the rest of the year, you're keeping an eye out for one another. You're watching one another. Linda has a beach house in Otaki, and we're up there at the moment, and there was this huge flood, and I was there at the time. This is going back a couple of months. I was there at the time. Linda wasn't. And the water started pouring in everywhere, and there was a threat, and it got one inch from our doorstep, and the council came and told me I had to go back out, go back home, wasn't worth staying there. But they sandbagged the whole place for us, and the water never got in. Yesterday, we were talking to the neighbour two or three doors down the road, and their place got flooded so bad, it was $100,000 worth of damage. They'd have all the jib pulled off, everything, all new carpet, whole mess. Now, she was very upset. She said, do you know what I'm upset about most? She said, I never got any calls from any of the neighbours to tell me because they live in Wellington. It's just a holiday home like many of them are. The neighbours never called me to tell me our place was about to flood. If they had, if we could have come up here and sandbagged the place. That was a thing she was most upset about. She was saying the jungle, jungle drums didn't beat loud enough. People should have rang me and told me. See, she knew when she's away from her place, she is reliant on the goodwill of the neighbours to try and keep her from harm and damage. Guys, that's how the whole of New Zealand used to work. I was part of that as a kid. That's how it used to work. And it doesn't anymore. And this promotes loneliness. So here we are, back to the song. They talk about the image of 10,000 people, or thousands upon thousands of people, queuing together, lining up together, like they're all like mindless robots. And this is all happening right around us. You go outside and go for a walk today and see what's going on. Uh, (laughs) Linda's feeling guilty, okay. The reason why we didn't call her is because she hadn't given us her phone number. (laughs) That's very good. Very good. Okay. So, as this has developed, we don't know how to reach out to one another anymore. We don't know how to do it. We get on the bus stop. I'm not just picking on the bus stops. Anywhere you go. We're in the shopping malls, lining up in the counter. You know, I've got to watch my time. I'm nearly there. The other day, I was in the grocery store. And I'm sorry this isn't about me because there's nothing great in it, but it's the only example I have. I'm in the grocery store the other day, and there's a woman in front of me with, holding her baby. And she's got all her items and she's checking out, and she's obviously miscalculated because when the checkout operator tells her how much it costs, she hasn't got that much money. So she says, oh, look, I'm very sorry. I've, I've checked it. I'll start putting some stuff. I'll put some of these things back. So I'm standing behind her, and guys, I'm not reading my phone. 
I like watching what's going on. I like to watch what's going on around me. So I just said to her, no, you won't. So I said to the lady at the checkout, all that stuff she can't afford, just stick it on my bill. Now, guys, it was only $10, $12. So don't pat me on the back and say how great I was. It was, it was nothing. She burst into tears and said, I can't believe you'd, you would do that. I said, yeah, 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 it's no problem. Here is my, and by the way, her grocery items weren't chippies and coke and all of that. They were essential foods that we all have to eat. Here's the dish, eat deal, guys. You may be in a position, and I am, to be able to afford to spend an extra 10 or $12 at the grocery checkout. You're going to miss it if your head's buried in the phone and somebody in front of you with a young baby she may have had more at home might be absolutely desperate for help and not knowing where where else to go. And here we are so buried in this thing that we miss it. We cannot be people of influence if we're not switched on through the Holy Spirit to the world around us. And we have a duty and an obligation before God to do that. Because it's happening everywhere. And Jesus is the answer through his people. If I hadn't have responded to that woman, Jesus wasn't going to give her $12 or whatever it was. Do you know what he would have had to have done? Try and find somebody else who would be aware enough of what was going on to be able to solve the problem for her. I'm going to skip through a whole lot of stuff. Fifth verse. And the people bowed and prayed to the neon God they made. And the sign flashed out its warning in the words that it was forming. You see... We've made a neon God. We've made a God of materialism. And when you drive down the road or through the CBDs or through any cities, the neon signs are flashing, saying, come and buy this, come and buy that. See this watch you've got? There's a better one out now. Come and get it. Come and get this. Come and get that. Shiny, flashy things. And people are trying to hold this up as a model to aspire to some godlike structure that will bring us peace and life and joy and fun. And I've said this before, everything that you have got by way of material possessions, and you might like the watch, I like this watch I've got, it's not expensive, but I like it. Do you know what? This watch is going to finish up at the tip. So is your car, so is your computer, so is your TV screen. They're all going to the tip, guys. May not be tomorrow, but they're all going to the tip. They can't provide anything lasting. As a result, we have to have something else, and you and I have it. It's a he, his name is the Holy Spirit, and he's been designed not only to bring us peace and life and joy and love, he's been designed to reach out to others. No longer do I have to go and say to Jesse, take my hands that I may reach you because I don't know how to do it. Jesse, you've got to help me reach you because I don't know how to do it. 
And that's what the song is saying. Take my hands that I may reach you. I don't know how to do it. We've lost the art, guys. So we just all go back into our own lives and our own shell. We're not reaching out to one another. And 30, 40, 50 years ago, these guys wrote this song and made that statement. Hear my words that I might teach you. Take my arms that I might reach you. Because I don't know how to reach out to anybody anymore. So what do I do? I just don't. That's why we're here. That's why we're on this planet. Last one and I'm finished. The words of the prophets are written on the subway walls and tenement halls and are whispered in the sounds of silence. This is quite prophetic and I haven't got time so I'm just going to cover this. If you want to know what the world is feeling, start reading some of the things that are written on the subway walls because the people feel so helpless, they don't know where else or how else they can communicate, so they write them on the walls. For those of you who understand tagging, tagging means I, and by the way, I've never done it, tagging means I have put something on the wall that will try and give me an identity and I want you to see it. It's a whole cry. It's a cry out. Some of the stuff written on the subway walls is absolutely brilliant. A lot of it's just a lot of rubbish. I know that. But some of it is absolutely brilliant. And here in the song, they're saying this. The prophets, some of them, some of them with some wisdom, some of them with some understanding, some of them just with a deep, deep cry in their heart, don't know how to express themselves or what to do, so they just write it on the subway walls, hoping somebody somewhere will see it and it will have some meaning and maybe it might change something. It doesn't change anything because at the end of the day no one cares they just turn their collar to the cold and the rain and keep on walking and keep on living in their own quiet word and if you think the stuff that's written on the subway walls is going to stay in people's minds today and tomorrow and forever you're wrong do you know what the words are that stay in people's minds today and tomorrow and forever the word of Jesus Christ written in your Bibles that does. That still changes life today like it did 2,000 years ago. It still makes sense in a world that is just longing for a hug, that is just longing for a word of encouragement, that is just longing for somebody to speak in a way that brings hope, in a way that brings life, and to be able to back it up by saying, I can take you to a community of people who are vibrant with life and for hope and who, and who can change the things that most people only spend the right complaining about. I am going to finish with this verse and then we'll play the song before Bruce comes up. Guys, we've got to disturb the sounds of silence. We've got to break it. We've got to break it open. I didn't get to Alaska to enjoy it, God disturbed me with the intention that I would disturb others and bring the wonderful hope that we sang about this morning, that we celebrated in communion. 
and that we see it again as the answer to the powerful cry that comes from the song. 1 John 5 verse 4 says this, For whatever is born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. Do you know that our faith in Jesus Christ overcomes the world? It breaks in and it disturbs the sound of silence. No longer do we have to say, take my arms that I might reach you. Give me something to say that I can say to you. Jesus provides all of that through his people and that's us. We have got a calling and a mission and an opportunity to go and change these things. And that's what we need to do. And now as we listen to this song, as I go and sit down, no longer can it create the hopelessness, the despair and the anxiety that it did in me at 16 years of age when I first heard it because now I know the answer. And brothers and sisters, the answer is us. Let's go for it. Amen. Hello darkness, my old friend I've come to talk with you again Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence In restless dreams I walked alone Now the streets are cobblestone Beneath the halo of a street lamp I turned my collar to the cold and damp When my eyes were stared the flash of a neon light Split the night Catch the sound of silence And in the naked light I saw Ten thousand people, maybe more People talking without speaking People hearing without Bruce, thank you so much for your word and uh, thank you, Lord, for what uh, you are doing in each of our lives as you've spoken to us this morning. I've often wondered... Um, often you see people in places and they are, they're looking at their cell phone. And the cell phone's actually a source of comfort to them because without it, they are lonely. They don't know what they've got. So can I just encourage you from what Bruce has said, um, you can drop these into Kerry and Dave Oram's um, recycling thing. <laughs> can I encourage you this week to be what we used to call in our family is a noticer. Are you a noticer? Do you notice what's happening around you? Do you, and if you're not. So to just challenge yourself, say, okay, am I buried myself 
or is there something around me that I can notice others? Because we know there are heaps of lonely, lonely people out there hiding in some ways. And if we can just be aware and alert of it, it may be $10 at the supermarket, it may be word in season or things like that. You just see something, you just comment, oh, you've got a lovely child, you know, all little things like that. I just encourage you, because you're doing the work of Jesus each time, even then. Cool.